Captain on deck! Greetings from inside the simulacra, Captain Hicks here, and we're going to talk about uh, the Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, you know, it's fascinating how many good movies come out. Yeah, we have to go 365 days, and usually if we're, you know, lazy and don't want to go to the theater, uh, we got to wait, you know little little time after the, the the first of the year for everything to hit streaming in an affordable manner and uh, you know just to to get these these excellent films i think a couple of the best films i've seen in three four years in hollywood have been you know just recently um and this this you know i love period films i i love uh, history and especially history and in in nooks and crannies of history that uh, you know we're not familiar with i had no idea about uh, this osage indian uh, uh, you know uh, you know murder spree that went on in uh, the 1920s 23 i guess it was like 1918 all the way to 33 and it was I think it was officially 60 murders during that period. Unofficially, I think it was over 100. So um, I'll try to be as spoiler-free as possible. I mean, some of this is historical context, but uh, what what a sensational film. And, you know, a couple of my comments on this, what, which, what makes it real special is that in this time where we've had nonstop agenda Nonstop woke agenda, DEI, ESG. Uh, it's refreshing to have a film that truly is diverse, and that's wonderful. Uh, but it's not it's not forced. It's very natural. I, I loved, uh, you know, that we we had uh, they call them the blankets in the film, but all the Osage people that uh, indigenous. I guess it was the five tribes from the Trail of Tears. That went into Oklahoma, and you know the uh, the irony is they hit it big with oil, and um, as we all know, you know, um, power, greed, wealth corrupts absolutely, and and there's a lot of people that take advantage of individuals and organizations that um, you know have a lot of money. And maybe don't have as much experience with it. So, I, I, you know, that's pretty much the setup. Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, you know, I, I looked at my best director list. And he was already in my top five. And what's real special about I mean, Marty versus most of the other greats. Uh, he's been working pretty consistent, you know, for 50, 60 years. Very consistent. He never phoned it in. He never, you know, he you could just tell Marty loves the art, and that's why you know when Marty, you know Martin Scorsese said, you know these Marvel movies are destroying cinema, and I I kind of scoffed at him. That was when the MCU was good. <laughs> that's when, you know, that's before Endgame. Yeah. But now I'd have to agree with them. You know, I, I think, uh, those spectacle movies and, and just a lot of these franchises, you know, now people don't go to the movies for independence or, you know, comedy's dead, rom-coms are dead, you know, um, it, you know, it's, it's really been crystallized down to franchises, right? Reboots and, and, and sequels. And just known commodities.
Even the fresh stuff was known commodities. Barbie was a, you know, Mattel toy. You know, Super Mario was a game. So it's just really nice to see something like this where Martin Scorsese, you know, he calls out Hollywood. He says, you know what? These are these are amusement park rides you're watching. Let me give you some cinema. Let me give you something that any true cinephile, any true, um, uh, you know, art appreciation, film appreciation student would, would um, you know, be proud of. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so well done from a production standpoint. Costumes, set, um, you know, the, the, the whole art design of the film is just perfect you you feel like you escape and versus like uh the irishman which was another and I, I like that he makes longer movies i i don't care how long a movie is as long if if i can escape in it and and all every other worry about my life is just put on pause and i can just escape and go like like in in, in star trek the next generation go in the holodeck for a couple hours and forget about all the nonsense in circus world. It's more important now than ever. And with this, you know, it's a, it's a three hour and I think 23 minute movie. And you don't even know it because you're just so engrossed in the story. And it's got, you know, it's got three acts and uh, it's, it's masterclass. It's not like the, uh, the Irishman. I had to watch that over multiple sittings and that didn't work because I think having De Niro, you know, um, when they did the CGI, it wasn't really well done and it just, it just didn't work. It didn't feel authentic, but you've got two of the greats. You got De Niro in, the perfect role for De Niro because as we've kind of learned, I mean, look at, if you look at Robert De Niro's career, all the roles that we know and love that he's done, he's always been uh, a heavy, a, you know, a bad guy, uh, a dick, an asshole, the devil, um, the, you know, he's always been that kind of guy, angry, abusive, you know, psychotic, sociopathic, um, that, that's just been, you know, his, you know, and even Rupert Putney, he's been insane, you know, he's been insane, like in, uh, the King of Comedy and to see him play to his strength and he, it's a masterclass, especially all the things, you know, just seeing him in the media over the last couple of years, he's just, he seems unhinged. And then after this lawsuit with his assistant, and just, you know, she, the assistant might have been a nightmare, but he did not handle that situation well at all. Look at the transcripts. Look at what, what how that thing went down. I, I followed it a little bit, but it's just like, you know, I don't know. He needs a handler. <laughs> he totally needs a handler at this point. But he just nailed it. As, um... Big kill, uh, King Hale in in Oklahoma. So you know he's 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 the heavy. He's the money. He's the he's he's the one that is uh, you know pulling the strings. And then you've got uh, Leo's character, uh, Ernest. I think it's his nephew. And he's you know he's he's the he's the lead. He's the protagonist. He's and it's good to see Leo play this kind of idiotic character. You know, ever since adulthood, ever since 
Jack from Titanic, uh, he's played um, some form of hero. Some, you know, I think the only villain I can remember is from Django Unchained, which he kind of stole the show. That was such a good villain. Um, but he, you know, he usually plays a protagonist. He, and this is the first time he's he's gone back to his Gilbert Gray uh grape days where he played kind of an idiot so it's a long it's we've had a long time where leo has uh since he's played that kind of a character and it was just so 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 you know master class and i read a lot about this film how they made it and you know how long it took him to shoot it took him a long time to shoot this um and I guess De Niro and Scorsese were getting annoyed with Leo because of how many times he was doing takes. Um, he just was, you know, they were they were getting up to just ridiculous numbers of takes and he just wanted to get it right. And, you know, when you get a little older and you're like, oh, okay, that was good enough. You know, do we really need? But, you know, he went for it. And, and I think both of them are going to get nominated which is so refreshing to see, you know, high high level art at this level. Two of the best, you know, working um, with the one of the best directors of all time. And not only is Martin Scorsese one of the best, but what other director is has been at this level at 80 years old? I think he's 80. I think Martin Scorsese was born in, let's just take, take a look really quick here, uh, 42, yeah, so, uh, no, he's uh, 60, 70, yeah, he's 80, 82, 81, so to be at that level, at 81, none of the others were at that level at that age, uh, you know, so to to have... Leo, who Leo has done so many movies with Martin Scorsese, he's done he's done Gangs of New York and The Aviator. I mean, just I think they've almost done ten movies together. And and his first muse was De Niro, right? De Niro did you know um, uh, you know Raging Bull and 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 Goodfellas and you know we know all the King of Comedy. They've done so many films. So to have these two actors, where Martin has done almost ten films with De Niro, and then Marty and De and 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 DiCaprio have done about ten films together. And it's interesting that uh, De Niro was the first person that mentioned DiCaprio was De Niro to, to Martin. And he said, you know, you got to check out this kid. He's incredible because they did A Boy's Life together, which there's a lot of, it's fascinating how much controversy there was after the fact. I think after Me Too, they talked a lot about uh, stuff that happened in that film and the, and the, and the, and the drama around. I'm not going to get into all that stuff. But, you know, just De Niro and DiCaprio worked together. Then, you know, De Niro and Marty have this long career. De, DiCaprio is this long. And then it culminates, culminates in this movie, which this is, this we all have to appreciate this. This is the, the likelihood of this happening again, catching lightning in a bottle, getting the right story, getting the right script. This is a wonderful script. Getting the, the overall cast is just dynamite. Uh, you even have people like 
Um, the guy from the well, Brendan Fraser shows up. Jesse Pimmons. I think Jesse Pimmons is a very, very underrated actor. Um, and then, you know, was it, gosh, there was, there's just all these little, 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 uh, you know, even the small roles have just tremendous actors. And then the gal that plays Molly, uh, she, she, you know, and she, to, to be thrown into this film at the deep end and have to, to go against two of the greatest actors of all time in roles that are just orchestrated for them. And for her to hold it up, I, I think she's going to get a, a, a nod. Uh, for supporting oh yeah john lithgow i forgot john lithgow i mean you got the small roles to brendan Fraser and john lithgow these are academy award you know uh, winning actors didn't Fraser win for the whale well at least nominated um so just so i would just say this is a must-see um it's one of those films that, uh, you know, again, you'll rewatch. And that's always a big uh, thing that I look at is the rewatchability. And I do like the story arc of this. It's nonlinear. Hey, it's based on a true story. It held to a lot of the story. There was a little more that went down, and it would have been good to hear some of the after effects and what happened a little bit more. Um, but you know this is this is one and done. It's there's no sequels. But if it was a if it was a doc series or if it was a scripted series, there would have probably been another episode <laughs> to tie up all the loose ends uh, in detail and depth. But there was more more to this story, um, and there's some interesting little caveats in there. Um, you know, there's a tie to, to, to Freemasonry and there's, um, it just says a lot about greed and, um, you know, the, the dark side of our culture and society and how we prey on the weak and, um, you know, our, you know, our, our focus on materialism and, and then also, uh, you know, that, that groups do, uh, conspire when it's in their, best interests. So all, there's all kinds of these really important points and just how to manipulate stupid people, how easy it is to manipulate an idiot. And, and they go, they, they show you, they show you the, the, the playbook of how to manipulate an idiot and what kind of strings to pull. So fascinating. I, I do think this is a, a crowning achievement. I don't see how these three guys are going to work together again. The probability is very low. So we, we've got to um, embrace it and enjoy it. The other thing um, about this is, it's you know, I thought The Holdovers was the best movie of the year. But this film has that kind of depth and richness, you know, and it's beauty. That's why I love period films, because it's easier to stay out of the fray of... Uh, the the agendas and and that's why I really I look for those kind of films because they can't separate themselves and they don't feel like they have to insert it which is 
which is they do. They find a way. <laughs> they find they find a way. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, in ways that you couldn't even believe, they found a way. But they they usually do. But this one doesn't. And that's what makes it so refreshing. It is a throwback film. It is one of those films, and I and I've said it multiple times. Ever since nine eleven, film film filmmaking took it in the chin. And then you know, really after again. You know, right around, you know, 08, there was some smattering of good movies, but I mean, since COVID, it's just been, as we've seen, you know, Hollywood is cratering, you know, the box office numbers, just look at, go on box office uh, mojo, take a look at the gross, the gross film, the, the, the ticket price that they brought in, the movie gross was less than it was 20 years ago. <laughs> And that's with ticket prices being twice as much. So I, we've really almost lost, I would have to say, about somewhere between 65 to 70% of the moving going public is gone, is evaporated. Now, there's a lot of different reasons for that. We're not going to get into it. But this is one of those films that gives me hope for filmmaking. You know, and it's not, you know, and it's not one of those spectacle films. The best films of this year, none of them were the the major CGI films. Uh, they were all films that had to do with character development and 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 and, and the interaction of those characters. And and this one here is more of uh, you know crime story, and you you really do feel like you know these people by the end and what really drives them and even the ones that are trying to hide their they're wearing a mask right but you get to see past that veil of the mask by the end and i i can't i do really want to do a second watch of this this is one of those ones where i want to i want the director cut I want the behind the scenes. I want to hear the interviews with the actors and uh, the, you know, the cinematographer. I want, I want all of it because this is one of those movies I'll probably be watching. Um, it's not like once a year, but it's one of those ones that I'll be checking back in on maybe once every five years, once every 10 years, every time I do a Scorsese marathon or a Leo marathon or a De Niro marathon, this will be in the mix. Um, so, uh, getting ready to do my, uh, year, my year, my, my best of, I have a couple more films I got to see first. I got to see dream scenario. I've got to see iron claw and then I'll do a top 10 for the year. And, uh, and then also I'll do a worst, worst of the year. I don't know if I can make it 10. It might have to be 20 because there were just so many God awful flops, Flopbuster, the year of the flopbuster, and we really need to 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 go into why. So thanks for your time. If uh, you get a sec, make a comment, uh, hit the bell, and uh, subscribe. But uh, but never forget to.